You may be seated and prepare your hearts to hear the preaching of the word of God. All right, Exodus chapter 20. We are on the 10th commandment, which is the last one. Exodus chapter 20. The first commandment I mentioned, it means recognizing that he alone is God that he is to have first place in our hearts and our lives. The worship of anything or anyone other than the Redeemer God is absolutely prohibited by Scripture. Secondly, man must not attempt to make any visible representation of the invisible God. To do so is to degrade him and to distort his holiness. Furthermore, the idol that is intended to represent God as an aid to worship eventually becomes God in the minds of its worshipers. Thirdly, we have the responsibility of taking up the name of God and are responsible for his reputation before a lost and a dying world by treating his name with honor, respect, and reverence in our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. Fourthly, we have the responsibility of one day in seven to attend God's honor and our soul. Fifthly, we have the responsibility to honor fathers and mothers. Sixthly, we have the responsibility to care for and protect others' welfare and physical life. Seventhly, we have the responsibility to honor the marriage institution by remaining faithful to one's own spouse and by respecting the marriages of other people. Eighth, the responsibility for honest, honesty to be the policy and practice of God's people. Ninth, the responsibility for all God's people to value and maintain accurate testimony. And so this Lord's Day, we have come to the last of the commandments, verse 17 of Exodus chapter 20, where the Bible says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So the 10th commandment, the responsibility for all God's people to be checking up on their inner longings for things and to be satisfied and to be content with what we have. Most of us who sit here today know that we know what it means to grow up in the middle of a society with a constant urge for things. We're bombarded with it every day. So the temptation to break this commandment is very real for us every single day. See, our hearts are already 
they already lean towards this sin. For example, a, a five-year-old boy excitedly announced to his parents that the boy down the street was going to get his very own clubhouse. His daddy is going to build it for him, reported the boy, and it's going to be big, and it's going to be in his backyard, and it's going to be his and nobody else's. I wish I could have a clubhouse. He's lucky, offered the five-year-old boy. Then with a puzzled look on his face, the younger the youngster asked his father, what is a clubhouse? <laughs> See, although the little boy didn't know what his neighbor was getting, he didn't want to be without it himself, whatever it was. Covetousness was already in his heart. So this morning, the principle that we have in the Tenth Commandment is that of the command given, and it's, it's very simple. A lot of times you'll see it listed as you shall not covet without the rest of the, the passage of Scripture. In fact, Deuteronomy, the next uh, book in the Leviticus Deuteronomy, Numbers Deuteronomy, we find in Deuteronomy, which is the second law, the more, in a sense, practical outworking of the law, we find this in Deuteronomy 5.21. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, and so on. It takes the word covet, and it translates it into the word desire. See, the Ten Commandment communicates the responsibility for all God's people to check up on their inner longings for things and to be satisfied and to be content with what we have. See, that's what it does. You shall not covet is the short version. But there is a distinctiveness in the Tenth Commandment that other commandments, the other nine commandments, do not have. The Tenth Commandment has a distinctiveness about it that makes it different from the rest in, in about three different ways. The first is that there is nothing comparable in other cultures that even approaches the law of coveting. Secondly, the Tenth Commandment exposes one's intention instead of addressing overt action. And thirdly, the Tenth Commandment uniquely reveals the nature of one's own sinfulness in a very huge way. Now, the definition of the Hebrew term covet is the word that simply means to acquire or to crave, to desire. Deuteronomy Chapter 7, verse 25, the Bible says this, the graven image that the graven images of their gods you are to burn with fire, you shall not covet them. Covet the silver or the gold that is on them, nor take it for yourself, or you will be snared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. 
And then other passages of Scripture, like, for example, in Joshua chapter 6, where it says this, But for you, only keep yourselves from the things under the ban, so that you do not covet them, and take some of the things under the band. And then, of course, Joshua again brings it up in chapter 7, verse number 21, and it says, When I saw among the spoil a Babylonian mantle from Shinar and two shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, then I coveted them and I took them. See, so there is an order that the Bible actually bears out for us. The order is always the same. I saw, I coveted, I took. And sometimes it's I coveted and I took, and sometimes it's just I coveted. Two positions on the meaning of the word coveted is important for you and I to know when considering these few passages that I just mentioned uh, in the scripture, we can see that there is a process going on within the human heart, which really has led to two positions as to how the term covet is to be understood in reference to the violation of the Ten Commandments. The first position is this, that the commandment is violated only when a person follows through and takes what he desires. That's the first position. The second position is this, that the commandment is violated in the desire or the yearning without the commission of any illicit act to obtain the desired object. Now, those two things are very important to find out exactly what the Tenth Commandment is getting at. Now, without giving you the answer or letting you know what I think ahead of time or what the Scripture says ahead of time, I would like to take a necessary detour uh, to examine the thought life that you and I all have. So when it comes to what, what comes first, behavior or idea? What comes first? The external act or the internal thought? See, the answer to these questions from a mind that is not void of judgment should be simple. The answer would be first the idea in the thought life and then the outward result of the idea. First, there is the in, internal thought and then the external act that is the order that you always find in Scripture. The thoughts are first, and they, they produce the external. Now, for, take, for example, uh, a passage of Scripture from Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, a one that would be familiar to us, but I want you to notice something here. It says here, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and a holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now this is talking about the external activity of a believer. But notice that it cannot be separated from verse number 2. 
which says this, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. See, you see that there is indeed a presenting of our bodies, but this has meaning only on the basis of the understanding of the internal. Not being conformed to the world is not simply external. There must come first an internal renewing of the mind. That is the Christian way of thinking. We are renewed inside of us, and therefore we produce what the Spirit of God is producing in us. Another example is, just take your Bibles for a minute and turn to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 17, and then onward, we'll look at this. The Apostle Paul here also mentions the way the Gentile world thinks, or that's just the, the way the world thinks. He tells the Ephesian believers in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17, he says this, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. See, in in order, in other words, they live out their external existence from a mind that is void of reasonings. Why do they do that? Well, verse number 18 says this being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they have become callous. See, so here is the same order. Their inward, darkened, rebellious heart against God produces external acts And, of course, their darkened heart produces the end result, which is in verse number 19 of Ephesians 4. And they, having become calloused, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. See, the order is the same, the internal, then the external. So, again... Notice the sharp contrast in the way the world thinks and the way the born-again believer's mind that is transformed ought to think. In Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 20. It says, but you did not learn Christ this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, You lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So the order is the same again from the internal renewal of the mind flows the external new manner of life that produces righteousness and produces holiness. To be renewed in the spirit of your mind is not simply a feeling. 
It is a matter of thoughts in relationship to content. So here are inward thoughts in relationship to specific content of truth connected with the truth that comes to us through the Word of God. And of course, right here in the passage, it says here, truth is in Jesus that comes from Him to us, which produces a holiness in our life. So turning from that which is false to that which is true. That's what happens every single day in our Christian life. Turning from that which is foolish to that which is wise. Turning from walking in the flesh to walking in the spirit. The inward transformation of our mind produces the external results of action, words, deeds, and thoughts. Thoughts coming first. And then turn to chapter 5 and notice again The Apostle says, Ephesians chapter 5, in verse number 15, the Apostle says it like this, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil, so so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, and do not get be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So the Holy Spirit, transforming us inwardly, in order to produce in us external results from inside outwardly. So that means that true spirituality is a matter of our first, our thoughts. God is transforming our minds. So here's the bottom line. Moral battles are not won in the external world first. They are always a result of flowing naturally from a cause, and the cause is in the internal world of one's thoughts that Jesus emphasized quite strongly in a a passage I already mentioned in another message, in Matthew chapter 12, where he says, You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. What Jesus is saying is that if the internal condition is not right, one cannot bring forth proper results. It's the same thing. If somebody is not really a believer, they cannot produce what the Spirit of God is producing in a real believer's heart. You can't do it on your own. It has to be God doing it through his word, through his spirit, through his church, through uh, uh, obeying the Lord in the means of grace that he gives us. It's, it's what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said, remember the passage, you have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And if you noticed there, the thought world is still first. 
in relation to morals, the thought is the thing. Lusting with evil desire does not just lead to adultery. It is adultery. So what was Jesus referring to there? He was referring to the 10th commandment. That's what he was referring to. Because of this link between adultery and lust, generally what the scripture says is adultery, uh, what it says about adultery is also true of lust. And Jesus added a dimension in that passage that some may not have realized was involved in the seventh commandment, sinning in thought, to look and to lust. To lust with an evil desire is adultery in God's sight. That adultery is violating the marriage covenant by engaging in sexual behavior mentally. Now, that's where people say, wow, that's what I have not thought about. That's why most cultures do not have that in their thinking. They say, as long as I'm not hurting anybody, I can do what I want, especially in my own mind, even if I never act out everything that I am thinking. So here are the the steps. First, there is the the internal is first. Secondly, the internal causes the external. And thirdly, morally, the internal is central. So keep in mind that any time we break one of the commandments, we have already broken the internal commandment, not to covet, which is the Tenth Commandment. So let me just look at a few other instances in Scripture. You can go back to Genesis, and if you notice in Genesis, we we think of the fall of mankind, right? Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 6. This is the account of the fall, and we read in verse number 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. So here is the realization that sin is first internal, where moral things are concerned, but it has an external result. In verse 6, she saw, she desired, and then it says she took from the fruit and ate, and she gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. So then, right from the start of things, right at the fall of mankind, runs the internal to the external. And here's an interesting one, Satan himself. Satan, his fall happened prior to the fall of mankind. Also, this one is is very, very interesting because Satan is not pictured in the Bible as having a physical body such as we have, or a corporeal heart like we have. Yet, look where sin is identified in Satan in this passage of Scripture. Notice here in in Isaiah what it says. It says, but you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount 
of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. See, the rebellion of Satan is first internal and then external, and it, it flows from that. His thoughts, his will, his emotions are now all involved and to rebel against God, to want to be like God. Therefore, he was cast out of God's presence, and he was cast uh, to the earth, and then he ne- then attempts uh, to, he tempts Eve to, with the, the temptation by twisting the truth of God to get her to believe what she thought was true, but actually was a lie. And of course, we can use David I've used David before, but what does he do in his sin with Bathsheba? It says he saw, he inquired about the woman, and he took her, and of course, he laid with her. So I, we have traveled this winding road in order to show you the consistency of Scripture on this particular matter, that you can see it, that the second position best understands the sense of the Tenth Commandment. See, the goal of coveting is the possession of what is coveted, whether the possession is acquired or not. So then the desire itself is the transgression of the law. See, and this is what makes the Tenth Commandment so different than all the rest of them. The desire to carry out the wrong was itself wrong. Like Jesus, like the Word of God says about humanity before the flood, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So desire without actions constitute coveting, which is a violation of the Tenth Commandment. Thus, coveting means having thoughts of taking or acquiring someone else's possession, an evil desire that is always contrary to the will of God, even if that person never acquires what they desire The sin is in the desire because it will ultimately lead there. And so remember, God examines us based on what's going on in our heart. We learn that as Christians. It's, it's, what am I thinking about? What, what, what's going on in my life that, uh, would, would even bring me to the place where I would, would violate this command? Well, it's, it's going to be where we examine our desires. What do we want? What are we thinking about? What are our goals in life? What do, what do we, what, where, can we identify the desires of where we sin? Because we live in a, a society that, that says, I want. I want. I want. I, this is a I want society. Uh, and so as we think about that, the principle in this 10th commandment Related to today, there's, there's several things I want to look at. And it's, it seems like that because we live in this I want society, 
few are satisfied with what they have. There's a, dissatis- a, a prevalent dissatisfaction in the minds and the lives of most people, even though we can acquire almost anything we want. I mean, with Amazon, you can get on the Internet and say, oh, I think I, I need that. Boom. It's at your door maybe that same day. All right? That's how quick we can fulfill our desires today. We don't have to wait. No snail mail anymore. You know, we, we can have it right, right now. So desire is often stimulated by sight. As we have already seen in the previous passages, and if we look again at the 10th commandment and consider at the practical human level, how does it work out realistically? Kevin DeYoung offered some realistic ways that we can be led in our thoughts into a violation of the 10th commandment. Look at back at Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Here's the first one. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. Well, how would that look? How would that look in our thoughts? Man, they sure have a lot of nice stuff. Their house is so nice and well-kept, and they live in such a nice neighborhood. I wish that I lived in a nice neighborhood like that and had a house like that. I wish that. And then... Verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Wow, she is beautiful. Why couldn't my wife look like that all the time? I wish I had married someone like her. I'd be much happier if I didn't marry my wife. Look at her husband. He's always so friendly. His kids are are always so nice and helpful. He's helpful around the house. He fixes things, not just breaks them. Why am I stuck with my husband when there are other men out there? What about the next part of the verse? And you shall not covet your neighbor's male servant or female servant or his ox or his donkey. That includes everything else. Man, my car is a piece of junk. My car is, is, can, can be categorized as a jalopy because it is, it's, I'm fixing the thing all the time. It's not fair. All my friends take great vacations. They go to the Grand Canyon. They go to Disney World. Some go to Hawaii and Europe. We're lucky if we go to Grandma's for the summer. Why am I stuck in this loser job? I wish my kids were more like their kids. Why do I have these lame parents? And then you shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. I wish I could be smart like him. My life would be so much better if I looked like her. Why couldn't I get a normal family? Why can't I run and jump and throw and be as strong as my friends? Why is everything in my life hard when everything for everyone else is so easy? 
Do you see how easy coveting could be? You see how easily we can slip? You know what? You and I have had thoughts like this, right? Now, don't get me wrong. It's not wrong to want things. It's not wrong to have a wish list. It's not wrong to make your lot better than it is. It's not wrong to do those things. See, where it is wrong is where it goes, how far it goes. If it goes to scheming about taking something that really doesn't belong to you, that God will never give you, that will never be yours, all right, that's where you don't want it to go. And you also don't want to go to another place, which I'll mention in a second. And why is that? Because, you know, the New Testament considers covetousness a great sin. In fact, if you take your Bibles and turn there, here's a few passages of scriptures to look up. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 5, it says, first of all, that covetousness is on the same level as idolatry. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 5, it says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, here it is, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. And then notice in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 5, a second one is this, that covetedness, Covetousness is actually equated with immorality and impurity and must be put away. It says in Ephesians 5, 5, For this you know with certainty that no moral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So this, this whole point of covetousness and idolatry go together because really when you're coveting something, your desire is actually worshiping it to the point you want it. You want it in your possession. You want to see it with your eyes. You want to have it. You must have it. And then, of course, there is in Romans 12, or Romans chapter 1, uh, this, this sin is included uh, with the sins that identify man, man's total depravity or his total inability, where it says in Romans 1.21, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, and here it is, greed, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips. So greed, covetousness, inordinate desire are frequently addressed together in the same passage of Scripture. So in other words, the Tenth Commandment expresses sin where sin cannot be seen. This is where it is uniquely different. All right, And who brings this out in a very, very unique way? Well, it's our own Apostle Paul in Scripture. Because, as I just mentioned, this Tenth Commandment exposes sin where sin cannot be seen because it is hidden in the human heart. Now, I'd like everybody to turn to Romans chapter 7, and I want you to notice 
why does Paul bring up this commandment and not all the other nine commandments? I'll tell you why ahead of time. While you're turning there in Romans 7, it's because of this. Paul was keeping the commandments. Not perfectly, but he was keeping them. All right? Until he came to this commandment, then he lost it. In other words, I can keep the nine, but the tenth destroys me. It it undoes me. I, I, I cannot do it. It condemns me. And notice what it says. Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse number 7. It says this, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Question. The answer to that is, of course, right there. May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Let me just stop there for a minute. So this is what it's saying there. There's nothing wrong with the law. What's all wrong is my sinful heart and your sinful heart. That's what's wrong. And so the Tenth Commandment brings out the in word, the internal thoughts and recesses of the sinful heart, and it brings it to the surface. That's what it does. That's what it is designed to do. And it shows us how much we need to be rescued from the condemnation of the law. And who could rescue us? Christ himself, right? He's the one who will rescue us. And then notice the rest of the passage in verse number 8. It says, but sin taking opportunity through the commandment, that's the 10th commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind for apart from the law. Sin is dead. And then he says this, I I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. What did that? The Tenth Commandment did that. Because all the other nine commandments are external. I can keep them outwardly, but the Tenth Commandment is internal. It exposes what I'm thinking. It exposes what I desire, right? That's what it exposes. And so that's why he brings that out in Romans chapter 7. He says, here's the result of the 10th commandment. I thought I was doing fine until this commandment rose up, convicted me of coveting, and killed me and showed me I wasn't doing very well at all. I was under God's condemnation and judgment, and I needed to be delivered from that, and I couldn't do that myself. And that's why Paul came to Christ. All right? He came to Christ understanding these things as a Pharisee, as a teacher, 
again, without turning there, you know the story about the rich young ruler, right? The rich, when Christ came to the rich young, young ruler, you know, he came and says, Lord, how can, how can I have eternal life? Man, what a question is that, right? That, that's every evangelist wants people to ask him, how can I have eternal life, right? But what it, this is how the conversation goes. And, and someone came to him and said, teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have turned eternal life, obtain eternal life? And he said to him, why are you asking me what is good? There is only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, which ones? And Jesus says, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these things I've kept. What am I lacking? And what does Jesus say to him? This is what he says to him. Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go sell your possessions. Give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. What was Jesus pointing out without saying the Tenth Commandment? He was pointing out this in the young man's heart. That you love money and possessions more than you love God. Possessions and money are the idol on your heart. That's what you covet and what you want. And it shows that's exactly what he wanted because when he heard what Jesus said to do, he walked away grieved. Why? It just showed what he loved the most. He loved his stuff. So Jesus pointed out that the man loved his stuff more than he loved God. And while he pointed that out, the rich man failed to see that he was a covetous man. He kept all the other commandments, but not the Tenth Commandment, because the Tenth Commandment went right to the heart of the matter and exposed him. But him being exposed had a different outcome than Paul being exposed. He walked away. Paul didn't. He repented. So, again, don't misunderstand that there are good desires. It is not wrong to desire a better job or to improve on your present situation in life. It is not the desire itself. Also, coveting is more than just thinking you want something. Coveting is... I must have it no matter what. So how is it, how can you tell that if you are heading down the road to committing the sin? Well, you have to do kind of a checkup on your own heart. And the checkup would be this. There's, there could be two major reasons. And it would be this. First of all, it would be when you desire something or someone that is not yours to have. Covening is what you want for yourself and what belongs to someone else. Covening is longing for other people's stuff to be your stuff. 
I want his car. I want his house. I want his 80-inch high-definition TV. I want his money. I want his looks. I want his strength. Did you know that the, the average family in the United States owe between four and $8,000 on their credit card on a regular basis? This is from the credit card company. Hopefully no, none of you are like that. Uh, but it's just, I want, I want her clothes. I want her jewelry. I want his tools. I want his job. I want her husband. I want his wife. I must have it, and I will start to figure out how to make his property my property. That's what coveting is. So a person coveting only thinks of what is good for them without or what would make their life better without considering others or considering what God thinks about it. They are not thanking God for what he has given them. They are more likely to think God has shortchanged them. God gave this to someone else, but he didn't give it to me, but I should have it. God gave that opportunity to that person, but he didn't give it to me, but I should have that opportunity. This person who got the job, I'm more qualified for that job and should have that job, but they got the job. They think that God shortchanged them. They are thinking more about what money and possessions can do for them than what God can do for them. They simply want the fleeting pleasures of this world system instead of the internal or the the internal or the, the lasting better things that God gives his children. So it could lead there, but this is this is the worst of where it leads. Secondly, when our desires reflect an expression and they express and reflect discontentment. The great reformer, St. Augustine, wrote, the cure for covetousness and greed may be found in an attitude of humbleness and contentment with what God has provided for you, period. In other words, man, people should be content with what God provides, period. The believer should be satisfied with what God sovereignly has given them this moment and in their life. Because you may never have, you may never obtain what God doesn't want you to have or obtain because it is not yours in the first place. The Apostle Paul told young Timothy that God's people should be satisfied with the basic necessities of life. You have food in your stomach? Good. You got clothes on your back? Good. Got a place to hang your hat? That's good. If that's all you had, that's good. Right? Because look what he says here in this passage of Scripture. He says, For we have brought 
nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be what? Content. That's where we ought to live. If we live there, if we live at that particular point, you know what? God may give you things that you may have desired in a good way later on in his timing, but he may not. In this short life, he may not. So am I and are you going to be content right now with what we have, with the situation that we're in, with the job that we have, with the family that we have, with the possessions that we have? Are we going to be satisfied to be content? Matter of fact, if we go back one passage from this passage of Scripture, it says this, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment, right? So are you content? Paul says in Philippians, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means, I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of both having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So in other words, Paul says he learned, he learned the secret of contentment. That's what we have to learn. You may not be there right now, but that's what we need to learn. Because when we learn that, that is going to be a, a milestone in every Christian's life. Because if I have prosperity, I'm not going to trust the prosperity and not trust God anymore. Right? If I somehow don't have it anymore and I'm, I'm poor, I'm not going to curse God because I'm in a situation of poverty now. See, I learn like Paul, to be content in any circumstances because his sufficiency is in Christ. That whatever I have or you have or don't have in your life, God providentially and sovereignly has allowed it. And I can trust him. I can trust him. So what will the desires of your heart reveal? Gold or God? Sinful greed or spiritual growth? Covetousness or contentment? My wants or God's will? Which one? A simple question was asked to a wealthy man named John Wanamaker, and he was asked this. How much of this world's things does it take to satisfy a man? And his answer was, just a little more. And let me end with this passage of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he himself says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. That is a, 
incredible passage of scripture that ties it all together. It's going to be one of the Lord's going to be faithful to us, his kids. He knows how to take care of his kids. He gives good gifts to his kids. And you know what? He knows what's good for you, and he knows what's bad for you, and that's what we're going to receive it from God, from his hand. And you know what? That's where we need to be satisfied. Thank you, Lord, for what I have. And if this person over here has way more than me, thank you that you've given it to them. But you haven't given it to me, and that's all right, because that's the lot I have right now, and I'm going to be content and satisfied with it. So be checking up on your inner longings for things and be satisfied and be content with what God has allowed you to have for some less, for some more. And be all, because we're really all God's children are actually very wealthy. And the reason why is because because we know God, but even better than that, he knows us. See, that's why we're wealthy. So whatever comes in this life, uh, this is a message, I believe, that springs from the Tenth Commandment that is very convicting and very practical, and it's easily understood when you get the intent of this commandment that coveting exposes the very desires of our heart. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we do thank you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your kindness to us. Lord, even giving us the word of God, allowing us to unfold it, unpack it, see its significance, and then, Lord, apply it to our own situation in life and our own heart. And Lord, all of us, all of us have been guilty of committing this sin. I just pray, Lord, from this day forward, we would be more wary and careful of examining our own desires. And if we detect in our heart that we have committed and bro- broken this commandment, Lord, I pray that we would, we would repent of it. And Lord, we thank you that uh, we don't live under the condemnation of the commandments anymore. We live under the law of Christ because you've taken our our load, you've taken our, uh, the justice and the wrath of God for us. So, Lord, that is not where, where, where we are to live, but we are to live in the freedom of Christ. But, Lord, that freedom of Christ is to walk in the Spirit and to not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so I pray, Lord, you would allow us every day to be aware of these things, aware of of everything that's going on in our thoughts, what we're really desiring and wanting, and and how we're going about to get it. And I just pray, Lord, that we would find ourselves uh, organizing things in our own mind and heart and life that pleases you and honors you. And I pray, Lord, ultimately, that we would learn every day to be content with what we have, what you have given, so we can give you thanks and we can give you praise for it all. And I pray it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.